Chapter fifty five of Peter Simple. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anthony Gerges. Peter Simple by Frederick Marriott. Chapter fifty five. We encounter a Dutch brig of war. Captain Hawkins, very contemplative near the capstan. Hard knocks and no thanks for it. Who's afraid? Men will talk. The brig goes about on the wrong tack. At daylight the next morning, we were off the Texel and could see the low sand hills, but we had scarcely made them out when the fog in the offing cleared up, and we met a strange vessel. The hands were turned up, and all sail made in chase. We made her out to be a brig of war, and as she altered her course considerably, we had an idea that she was an enemy. We made the private signal, which was unanswered, and we cleared for action, the brig making all sail on the starboard track, and we following her, she bearing about two miles out on the weather bow. The breeze was not steady. At one time, the brig was staggering under her top gallant sails, while we had our royals set. At another, we would have hands by the top gallant sheets and topsail halards, while she expanded every stitch of canvas. On the whole, however, in an hour, we had neared about half a mile. Our men were all at their quarters, happy to be so soon at their old work. Their jackets and hats were thrown off, a bandana handkerchief tied round their heads, and another, or else their black silk handkerchiefs tied round their waists. Every gun was ready, everything was in its place, and every soul, I was going to say, was anxious for the set too. But I rather think I must not include the captain, who from the commencement showed no signs of pleasure and anything but presence of mind. When we first chased the vessel, it was reported that it was a merchantman, and it was not until we had broad daylight that we discovered her to be a man of war. There was one thing to be said in his favor. He had never been in action in his life. The breeze now fell light, and we were both on our sails set, when the thick fog obscured her from our sight. The fog rolled on until we met it, and then we could not see ten yards from the brig. This was a source of great mortification, as we had every chance of losing her. Fortunately, the wind was settling down fast into a calm, and about twelve o'clock the sails flapped against the mast. I reported twelve o'clock, and asked the captain whether we should pipe to dinner. Not yet, replied he. We will put her head about. Go about, sir, replied I with surprise. Yes, said he. I'm convinced that the chase is the other tack at this moment, and if we do not, we shall lose her. If she goes about, sir, said I, she must get among the sands, and we shall be sure of her. Sir, replied he, when I ask your advice, you will be pleased to give it. I command this vessel. I touched my hat and turned the hands up about the ship, convinced that the captain wished to avoid action, as the only chance of escape for the brig was her keeping her wind in the tack she was on. Bout ship, bout ship, cried the men. "'What the hell are we going about for?' inquired they of one another as they came up the ladder. "'Silence, therefore, and aft!' cried I. "'Captain Hawkins, I do not think we can get her round unless we wear. The wind is very light.' "'Then wear the ship, Mr. Simple.' There are times when grumbling and discontent among the seamen is so participated by the officer, although they do not show it, that the expressions made use of are passed unheeded. Such was the case at the present. The officers looked at each other and said nothing, but the men were unguarded in their expressions. The brig were gradually around, and when the men were bracing up the yards, sharp on the tack, instead of the hurrah and the down on the mark, they fell back with a groan. 
"'Brace up those yards in silence there,' said I to the men, which was all I could say. The ropes were coiled down, and we piped to dinner. The captain, who continued on deck, could not fail to hear the discontented expressions, which occasionally were made use of on the lower deck. He made no observation, but occasionally looked over to the side to see whether the brig went through the water. This she did slowly for about ten minutes, when it fell to a perfect calm, so that, to use a common phrase, he gained little by his motion. About half-past one, a slight breeze from the opposite quarter sprung up. We turned round to it. It increased. The fog blew away, and in a quarter of an hour, the chase was again visible, now upon our lee-beam. The men gave three cheers. "'Silence there, fore and aft!' cried the captain angrily. "'Mr. Simple, is this the way that the ship's company have been disciplined under their late commander, to halloo and bawl whenever they think proper?' I was irritated at any reflection upon O'Brien, and I replied, Yes, sir, they have always been accustomed to express their joy at the prospect of engaging the enemy. Very well, Mr. Simple, replied he. How are we to put her head, inquired the master, touching his hat, for the chase? Of course, replied the captain, who then descended into his cabin. Come, my lads, said Swinburne, as soon as the captain was below. I have been going round, and I find that your pets are all in good fighting order. I promise ye, you shan't wait for powder. They'll find that the rattlesnake can bite devilish hard yet, I expect. Aye, and without its head, too, replied one of the men, who was the Joe Miller of the brig. The chase, perceiving that she could not escape, for we were coming up with her, hand over hand, now shortened sail for action, hoistening Dutch colors. Captain Hawkins again made his appearance on the quarter deck, when we were within half a mile of her. Are we to run alongside of her now? inquired I. Mr. Simple, I command her, replied he, and want no interference whatever. Very well, sir, replied I, and I walked into the gangway. Mr. Thompson, cried the captain, who appeared to have screwed up his courage to the right pitch, and had now taken his position for a moment on one of the carronades, you will lay the brig right. Bang, bang, whiz, whiz, bang, whiz, came three shots from the enemy cleaving the air between our masts. The captain jumped down from the carronade and hastened to the capstan without finishing his sentence. "'Shall we fire when we are ready, sir?' said I, for I perceive that we are not capable of giving correct orders. "'Yes, yes, to be sure,' replied he, remaining where he was. "'Thompson,' said I to the master, "'I think we can manage in our present commanding condition to get foul of him so as to knock away his jib-boom and fore topmast, and then she can't escape. We have good way on her.' I'll manage it simple, or my way is not Thompson, replied the master, jumping into the quarter boat, conning the vessel in that exposed situation as we received the enemy's fire. Look out, my lads, and pour it into her now, just as you please, said I to the men. The seamen were, however, too well disciplined to take immediate advantage of my permission. They waited until we were past her, and just as the master put up his helm so as to catch her jib-boom between our masts, the whole broadside was poured into the bow and trust tree. Her jib-boom and fore-top gallant went down, and she had so much way through the water that we tore clear from her, and rounding to the wind, shot ahead. The enemy, although in the confusion from the effects of our broadside, put up his helm to rake us. We perceived his maneuver and did the same and then, squaring our sail, we ran with him before the wind, engaging broadside to broadside. This continued about half an hour, and we soon found out that we had no fool to play with. The brig was well fought, and her guns well directed. We had several men taken down below, and I thought it would be better to engage her even closer. 
There was about a cable length between both vessels, and we ran before the wind at about six miles an hour with a slight rolling motion. Thompson, said I, let us see if we cannot beat them from their guns. Let's port the helm and close her till we can shy a biscuit on board. Just my opinion, simple. We'll see if they won't make another sort of running fight of it. In a few minutes, we were so close on board of her that the men who loaded the guns could touch each other with their rammers and sponges. The men cheered. It was gallantly returned by the enemy, and havoc now commenced by the musketry on both sides. The French captain, who appeared as a brave fellow as ever, stepped, stood for some minutes on the hammocks. I was also holding on by the swifter of the main rigging, when he took off his hat and politely saluted me. I returned the compliment, but the fire became too hot, and I wished to get under the shelter of the bulwark. Still, I would not go down first, and the French captain appeared determined not to be the first either to quit the post of honor. At last, one of our marines hit him in the right arm. He clasped his hand to the part, as if to point out to me, nodded, and was assisted down from the hammocks. I immediately quitted my post, for I thought it foolish to stand as a mark for forty or fifty soldiers. I had already received a bullet through the small of my leg, but the effects of such close fire now became apparent. Our guns were only half manned, our sides terribly cut up, and our sails and rigging in tatters. The enemy was even worse off, and two broadsides more brought her main mast by the board. Our men cheered and threw in another broadside. The enemy dropped astern. We rounded to rake her. She also attempted to round two, but could not unless she cleared away from her wreck and taken in her foresail and lowered her topsail. She then continued the action with as much spirit as ever. "'He's a fine fellow, by God!' exclaimed Thompson. "'I never saw a man fight a ship better, but we have him. Webster's down, poor fellow.' "'I'm sorry for it,' replied I. "'But I'm afraid there are many poor fellows who have lost a number of their mess. "'I think it useless throwing away the advantage which we now have. "'He can't escape, and he'll fight this way forever. "'We had better run ahead, repair the damages, "'and then he must surrender in his crippled state when we attack him again.' "'I agree with you,' said Thompson. "'The only point is that it will soon be dark. "'I'll not lose sight of him, and he cannot get away.' If he puts before the wind, then we'll be at him again. We gave him the loaded guns as we forged ahead, and when we were about half a mile from him, hove to to repair damages. The reader may now ask, but where was the captain all this time? My answer is that he was at the capstan where he stood in silence, not once interfering during the whole action which was fought by Thompson, the master, and myself. How he looked or how he behaved in other points during this engagement I cannot pretend to say, for I had no time to observe him. Even now I was busy nodding the rigging, rousing up the new sails to bend, and getting everything in order, and I should not have observed him had he not come up to me, for as soon as we had ceased firing he appeared to recover himself. He did not, however, first address me. He commenced speaking to the men. "'Come, be smart, my lad. Send a hand here to swab up the blood.' Here, youngster, run down to the surgeon and let him know that I wish to report of the killed and wounded. By degrees he talked more, and at last he came up to me. This has been rather smartish, Mr. Simple. Very smart indeed, sir, replied I, and then turned away to give directions. Main top there, send down to the hauling line, on the starboard side. Aye, aye, sir. Now then, my lads, clap on and run up on at once. Main top there, hailed the captain. Be a little smarter, or by God, I'll call you down for something. This did not come with a good grace from one who had done nothing to those who were working with all their energy. Mr. Simple, said the captain, I wish you would carry on duty with less noise. 
at all events he set us the example during the action muttered the joe miller and the other men laughed heartily at the implication in two hours during which we carefully watched the enemy who still lay where we left him we were again ready for action shall i give the men their grog now sir said i to the captain they must want it no no replied the captain no no mr simple i don't like what you call dutch courage i don't think he much does and this fellow has shown plenty of it said the joe miller softly and the men about him laughed heartedly i think sir observed i that it is an injustice to the fine ship's company to hint that they're requiring dutch courage dutch courage is a term for courage screwed up by drinking freely and i most respectfully beg leave to observe that the men have not had their afternoon's allowance and after the fatigues they have undergone really require it i command this ship sir replied he certainly sir i am aware of it rejoined i she is now all ready for action again and i wait your orders the enemy is two miles on the lee quarter the surgeon here came up with his report good heavens said the captain forty-seven men killed and wounded mr webster dangerously why the brig is crippled we can do no more positively we can do no more we can take that brig anyhow cried one of the seamen from a dozen of the men who were to leeward expecting orders to renew the attack what man was that cried the captain no one answered by god this ship is a state of mutiny mr simple will soon be i think said a voice from the crowd which i knew very well but the captain having been but a short time with us did not know it do you hear that mr simple cried the captain i regret to say that i did hear it sir i little thought that ever such an expression would have been make use of on board of the rattlesnake then fearing that he would ask me the man's name and to pretend not to have recognized it i said who was that who made use of that expression but no one answered and it was so dark that it was impossible to distinguish the men after such mutinous expressions observed the captain i certainly will not risk his majesty's brig under my command as i should have wished to have done even in her crippled stake by again engaging the enemy i can only regret that the officers appear as insolent as the men perhaps captain hawkins you will state in what and when i have proved myself insolent i cannot accuse myself i hope the expression was not applied to me sir said thompson the master touching his hat silence gentlemen if you please mr simple where round the ship whether the captain intended to attack the enemy or not we could not tell but we were soon undeceived for when we were round we ordered to be kept away until the dutch brig was on our lee quarter then ordering the master to shape his course for yarmouth he went down into the cabin and sent up word that i might pipe to supper and serve out the spirits the rage and indignation of the men could not be withheld after they went down to supper they gave three heavy groans in concert indeed during the whole of the night the officers who kept the watches had great difficulty in keeping the men from venting their feeling and what might almost be termed justifiable mutiny as for myself i could hardly control my vexation the brig was our certain prize and this was proved for the next day she hauled down her colours immediately to a much smaller man-of-war which fell in with her still lying in the same crippled state the captain and first lieutenant killed and nearly two-thirds of her ship's company either killed or wounded had we attacked her she would have hauled down her colours immediately for it was our last broadside which had killed the captain who had shown so much courage as first lieutenant i should have received my promotion which was now lost 
I cried for vexation when I thought of it as I lay in bed, that his conduct was severely commented upon by the officers in the gun-room, as well as by the whole ship's company, I hardly need say. Thompson was for bringing him to a court-martial, which I most gladly would have done, if it only were to get rid of him. But I had a long conversation with old Swinburne on the subject, and he proved to me that I had better not attempt it. For do you see, Mr. Simple, you have no proof. He did not run down below. He stood his ground on deck, although he did nothing. You can't prove cowardice, then, although there can be no great doubt of it. Again, with regard to his not renewing the attack, why, is not a captain at liberty to decide what is best for his majesty's service? And if he thought, in the crippled state of the brig, so close to the enemy's coast, that it wasn't advisable, why, it could only be brought as an error of judgment. Then there's another thing which must be remembered, Mr. Simple, which is that no captain sitting on a court-martial will, if it be possible to extricate him, ever prove cowardice against a brother captain because they feel that it is a disgrace to the whole cloth. Swinburne's advice was good, and I gave up all thoughts of proceeding. Still, it appeared to me that the captain was very much afraid that I would. He was so extremely amiable and polite during our run home. He said that he had watched how well I had behaved in action and would not fail to notice it. This was something, but he did not keep his word, for his dispatch was published before we quitted the roadstead and not the name of one officer mentioned, only generally saying that they conducted themselves to his satisfaction. He called the enemy a corvette, not specifying whether she was a brig or ship corvette, and the whole was written in such a bombastic style that anyone would have imagined that he had found a vessel of superior force. He stated at the end that as soon as he repaired damages, he wore round, but that the enemy declined further action. So she did, certainly, for the best of all possible reasons, that she was too disabled to come down to us. All this might have been contested, but the enormous list of killed and wounded proved that we had had a hard fight, and the capture of the brig afterwards that we had really overpowered her. So that, on the whole, Captain Hawkins gained a great deal of credit with some, although whispers were afloat which came to the ears of the admiralty and prevented him from being posted the more so as he had the modesty not to apply for it. End of chapter 55